I'm Sihil Patel, filling in for Brian Morrissey, and this is the final bonus episode of our special series on the Digiday Podcast. This month, we invited four founders of bootstrapped media companies and asked them how they run a profitable business. Check out our earlier episodes with Courier founder Jeff Taylor, Morning Brew co-founder Austin Reef, and Mobile Nations co-founder Kevin Mitchelluk. On this final episode of the series, Brian speaks to Benjamin Cohen, founder of Pink News, a London-based digital publisher that markets to the LGBT community. Pink News has many revenue streams supporting the business, and Benjamin can't count how many. He discusses how he runs a bootstrap business, how Snapchat has led to a tremendous growth for Pink News, and more. Benjamin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're here in our shared office space in London, um, and I want to have you on uh, to to talk about Pink News. Explain how Pink News came came about. So I I founded Pink News back in two thousand and five with no real ambition to create the global media company that we've ended up creating. I just it's thought just an accidental juggernaut. It was literally something that I decided to do. But what did you see in the market? Well, I, what I saw was that. Um, back then in the UK, or in England and Wales anyway, we were about to introduce civil partnerships, so the first legal recognition of same-sex couples. And the gay media, because there wasn't the term LGBT then, gay media was very sexualized and was, the magazines would have rent boy ads and porn ads and things. And there was a news publication actually called Pink Paper, um, which printed once a month and updated their website once a month. And at the end of the month, when they put the new content on, they deleted all the content that was on before because they could only store 99 articles or something okay. the way their CMS was set up. And I just thought there's a need for something better. And because I'd had experiences of building other digital businesses before, it was a kind of like project that I started. I had the idea one morning and I wanted to have a, a website up by the end of mm-hmm. the day. And I did manage to do that. So I want to get back, get into your, your background. But um, I mean, at the time you said you felt like it was an underserved market. Yeah. And it still is an underserved market. Um, explain the approach that you thought would be, would be best in covering you know, issues that matter to this community? So at the time, it was just about being politically impartial. So most publications that existed at that point in the UK were very left-leaning. We would work with all politicians. So very early... But isn't that inevitable to some degree? Not in Maybe the, I'm taking my American no, in America, <laughs> but in the UK, you know, it was David Cameron writing on Pink News where, who first backed same-sex marriage when he was conservative leader. And it was the Labour Party leader at the time, Gordon Brown, also writing on Pink News, he said he didn't support same-sex marriage. So the right-left debate hasn't actually, doesn't necessarily work here. And I just thought that there wasn't something that really reflected our community. And so that, that was the kind of impetus to do it. At the, t- at the originally, the first website was something that I built. I wrote most of the original content myself. What we were di- where we were different was we were distributing on things like RSS feeds and Google News. And mm-hmm. what has actually happened with Pink News is that as new platforms come about, we pivot and we become, we, we, we grow our audience on them. And, and actually, in all of the different iterations of Pink News over the past 14 years, um, we've always been ahead of other people who are playing in our market to exist in the, in the different platforms and, and to have different experiences. To mm-hmm. How has the content evolved over the years? Well, so it was very newsy at the beginning. Um, we still do produce very news-related content, and, and our news team, which sounds weird, inside Pink News, um, is, is an important component of, of the business, but it's actually one of the smallest content teams. So over the last few years, we've evolved as 
the notion of LGBT plus has evolved and, and as attitudes have changed, we've created different types of content and now we're making lifestyle and entertainment content. So if you look on our Snapchat Discover, which is our largest platform, um, you don't see a huge amount of news on that. What mm -hmm. you'll see is long tail pieces of content that might be planned uh, you know, a month in advance and filmed a month in advance, but that just really resonate with that audience. And it's, and that's why. So more cultural yeah. than sort of, I don't want to say cause, but I mean, the, the, the I, I would guess the, the community has evolved. I mean, because marriage equality is, is yeah, fairly but, but, common now in a lot of, the, uh, but it's mixing that sort of. So right at the beginning, an interesting thing about Pink News was that not all of our readers were gay. When, when it was a gay news website, um, because there were people who were interested in policy. And then as, as we've evolved, it was the parents of LGBT people. But now when we look at you know, the 30 odd million people that we reach on our monetized uh, content each month, probably the vast majority are not LGBT plus. They are people who, this is the issue of their generation. If you ask a 13 mm -hmm. to 24 year old, they have very different attitudes towards gender and sexuality to older people. And the content that we're producing really resonates with them. And the fact that they might not be part of this community is kind of irrelevant in the same way that something like RuPaul's Drag Race has built a very large audience globally among non-LGBT people. Our content has built a very large audience right. among non-LGBT Yeah, what I meant was it's not just issue focused. Um, because there's a, there's a wider cultural Issues are story really important. Yeah. We'll still do them. Um, and, and that will still be a you know, key component of our output. But more about more of the content is, is kind of like fun stuff that, mm -hmm. that we think resonates with our audience. Like example. Um, so I just came back from um, a trip to my in-laws and my mother-in-law was looking at our Snapchat and we ended up having a big heated debate about raising gender neutral babies because we'd done an interview with um, a parent in America who was calling their child a baby and was defined baby. as a baby and okay, deciding like not to, <laughs> to bring them up as a boy or a girl. And that is interesting. It's interesting whether you're LGBT, whether you're thinking about doing this or not, or whether you're just someone who's intrigued by this concept. So it's, it's sort of content that just um, is interesting and engaging and will cause people to stay on it for as long as possible. That's our aim. And that's how I judge the success of the team. Okay. So your background, I mean, you've started business before, yeah. businesses before you, you've been a journalist. I, explain your background. Oh, God, my background is really annoying and long, but um, I... Let's go, let's go with the short version. <laughs> the short version is when I was... 15 i started the jewish community website oh my god we're going way back yeah so that, luckily you're not that old <laughs> no. well I'm, I'm 36 maybe 37 well, so it's yeah. quite a while ago so i started that this was right at the heart of the dot-com boom and i started this i would say pretty rubbish website called jewishnet that um kind of got the the two jewish newspapers in the uk quite spooked because they didn't have websites i don't think at the time and there ended up being a kind of bidding war to take over this website i got loads of publicity because i was a kid doing this and i'm quite good at milking media that's why i'm on the digital podcast exactly but um th they end we ended up uh merging with the Jewish news newspaper, reversing onto the AIM market of the London Stock Exchange all before I was 18. So I had an experience of building a business there. I have to say that business didn't really work mm -hmm. at all. I then built a search business, um, definitely on the wrong side of the Atlantic, that got uh, caught up with uh, some legal disputes of Apple over the ownership of iTunes, which was our music search engine. And actually it was that issue that caused me to go into journalism. I just happened to be interviewed by the Times of London um, 
on the day of their Christmas party about this dispute with Apple and the journalist invited me to the party because he thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and there I met some of the editorial team and I ended up having a column um, for the Times. And from the Times, column about writing about e-business and sort of technology in the very early days of Google, way before Facebook, um, I then got asked uh, by Channel 4 News, one of the main network news programs, to be their first and only, actually, technology correspondent. Um, and so I was doing that. But just before Channel 4 News happened, I'd asked the Times, could I take a departure from my e-commerce column and write something about gay issues? And they said no. And that's the reason why I started Pink News. Okay. Um so you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Like yeah, I'm heart? definitely more of an entrepreneur than a journalist. Um, I have had no formal training as a journalist. I think some of the best journalists haven't had any formal training, but most of my journalism team now have done the, the traditional route of studying at university. And I, I, I do like finding stories and I do get some enjoyment from that. But now most of my time is, you know, I'm hustling, I'm running a business. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the business. Um, how many people is Pink News? Doing? So right now we're about 24 um, people. We've got, I think, about six open places. We'll get to 30 very soon and potentially 50 by the end of the year. So we're growing really quickly. This time last year, we had sort of eight, nine people. Um, we've had a tremendous growth very recently because okay. of Snap. Because of Snap. Well, yeah. we'll get into the Snap, but the... Um, the business model is a typical media mm, business model. It's a model. bit complicated, our business model. It's a model. bit complicated. <laughs> so we produce content, we sell advertising, we sell brand partnerships, we have a lot of programmatic ads, um, particularly on the hundreds of millions of ads that we show on Snap. Um, but we also produce events. We have the Pink News Awards. Tomorrow um, we have the first Pink News Aging Summit, which is a professional a summit that we're hosting where people mm -hmm. buy tickets to go. We um, have a graduate recruitment event, which is in four cities in the in the UK this year, um, where students buy tickets to come and meet potential employers. Employers pay money to have stands there. Oh, it's always good yeah. when, when all sides are paying. <laughs> Everyone's paying. It's really, it's actually really exciting when you get really young people who are willing to pay. It's not a lot. You know, for their tickets, £15, it's to make sure that they're committed to come. Um, most of their, their, the costs are covered by the big brands, Goldman Sachs, Lloyds Bank, etc., who, who um, take stands there. But what was amazing when we did the one last year was we were seeing the, the young Gen Z, Gen Z people who we engage with on Snap in real life, talking mm -hmm. about the issues um, that we produce content on. We also are building an advocacy platform at the moment, which uh, Google has funded through a DNI grant, a Digital News uh, Innovation Fund grant. Um, we are about to launch Commerce. So uh, if this was a video, you could see I'm wearing a Pink News design t-shirt, uh, which says, uh, kiss me i'm irish and that's crossed out and it says kiss me i'm gay um so we're selling uh t-shirts pin badges baseball caps um all sorts of uh products this is the hustling part of being in, a media entrepreneur in, well, this is potentially a very big revenue line so you'll be able to buy these direct from snapchat you won't need to to switch out you'll just be able to swipe up and buy um we're doing so we're doing so much so how many different revenue lines God, i don't know like 10 12 something like that okay i mean it keeps that's growing. it keeps growing it's right. really exciting what what we have never been is massively dependent on any one platform or revenue line so you're not massively dependent on 
IO based advertising. It's really, it's actually a really small component of ours. It's a challenge for us that we have a, most of our audiences in the US. I have no operations there yet. So definitely what I'm planning to do at the moment is thinking about how we have the funds to open proper sales and marketing offices, uh, probably in New York and LA. I'm actually doing a trip uh, next month to start planning that out. Okay, so explain the, the global nature. I mean, you don't consider yourselves like a British no, publication. Not. I mean, the UK is our third largest market now in terms of audience. So the US is number one. Uh, India is our fast growing number two market. And then the UK. Oh, interesting. Uh, the UK is our, you know, our heritage. We have more homepage visits from the UK than any other um, geo. And we're probably better known in the UK. But uh, we're certainly known very well now by very young people in the United States. And that's where the vast majority of our audience is. Yeah. And that's got to be a challenge. I mean, operating from London, but having the largest chunk of your audience being the US. It's, it's a challenge, but it's actually an opportunity. We've been a really big beneficiary of Brexit. So when the, when the vote happened, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was a Remainer, but, um, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> but, but um, actually, it's been so beneficial. We, we, we employ everyone in sterling. Um, most of our revenue comes in dollars. The dollars oh, have turned okay. into more sterling. And um, you know, London, the cost of employing people in London and office space, et cetera, is cheaper than in New York. And so we're able to operate. We have a nicer office here now than our <laughs> WeWork before. I don't know if it's related, but... <laughs> because of Brexit. We used to be in the WeWork as well. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, okay, so in your plan on, though, establishing um, uh, an office or people in yeah, New Yeah, I, is... I need to do this properly. Um, look, we've danced around this a few times. So I've talked to lots of, lots of times about raising money. I've had lots of opportunities where people have uh, tried to acquire us. I'm really glad. Most of the companies that tried to acquire us didn't really work. Um, so I'm glad that we didn't take those, uh, those offers. But um, I don't think we can go, al- we, c- we can do it just from here. It's yeah. actually, the American market is a really interesting one for us to tap into because US ad agencies still think of us as a British product, even though the vast majority of the audience is not in the UK. Because they, it's the domain. Yeah, it's the domain and it's the telephone number and all of this stuff that people actually <laughs> you gotta judge just you gotta, on. You just get a 917 we, number. We, so, we have, so we have pink.news, which we're going to start to use in the US, but we don't own pinknews.com. We have pinknews.co.uk. Pinknews.com is owned by a Swedish media company that at this point won't give it to us. Okay, well, we'll we're the trademark holder, though. We'll see. Um, what kind of scale do you think this can get to? I think really quite big. So I, you know, I, I would never have imagined when I started the business that we'd be reaching 30 plus million users a month mm-hmm. on our, our own platform and on Snap. And obviously Snapchat didn't exist when I started this. Um, I never would also have imagined, we're looking at the numbers uh, earlier today. It's just, it's about I think 78% of 13 to 24s in the US have watched at least one of our Snapchat editions. Mm-hmm. So I never thought that that scale was possible, but also the cultural changes that have happened over the last 10 years have been really dramatic. So actually we're potentially talking to a very large audience. So we start- So it's almost less of a niche type well, media than I mean, it was when it was like yeah, The I Advocate mean, and Owl. Yeah, I mean, they, those businesses are stuck in the, in the exact position really that they were. We're very different because we've been quite nimble. Um, but we look at the global LGBT audience there's potentially a billion people um, that, that might ascribe to the LGBT plus spectrum. And then there's probably hundreds of millions more people who LGBT rights is really important and they would describe themselves as allies. So actually, maybe we're talking about 
a big chunk of the global population. You know, just last year, India decriminalized homosexuality. There might be 100 million LGBT people in India alone. And right. we're just starting to reach you know, a percentage of them at the moment. Exactly. Um, so uh, let's talk uh, just a little bit about um, Snapchat um, because, you know, goes back and forth whether publishers um like it or don't like it um, we love you it. guys love it we love it explain what first when you started in snap and and the numbers that you're seeing there so i was first in, i hadn't heard of snapchat i think until about 2014 15 and there'd been some interesting studies done at the time which was showing that around 49 percent of under 24s were defining their sexuality as not 100 percent straight so they definitely weren't saying they were gay, but they were on the spectrum using things like the Kinsey scale. And at that point, Discover first uh, launched. And I f first began the conversations with Snap back then. And I have to say, we went backwards and forwards quite a lot and didn't really get anywhere. And then uh, kind of in 2017, we sort of made some progress with finding the right people for us to talk to at Snapchat. And uh, I think in January of last year, we began the piloting and it was a six month pilot process. And, you know, initially, we thought we might get four or five million users a month, but we're getting up to 28 million uh, monthly users on our primary Snapchat Discover channel. And we also produce shows. And that 28 million, that's like engaging in some form or fashion? Like they, actually have to, they have to actually watch in addition. Okay. So um, and they're monetized. Um, the vast majority of them are in the US. So. We, we do see fluctuations. The challenge for Snap for us on Snap is this is our first year. We've only been publishing daily since December. So we don't have historical data to look at to say, yeah. is this month a good month? Is there a reason why January was more than February, other than the fact there's more days in the week in January? Um, March was a bit lower than February, but April was higher. So we're, right. we're the sort of on that journey at the moment. But what we've also found is that Snapchat for us is a global stage for us to experiment with new content forms, new ideas. You can iterate quite quickly on that. Okay. Um, and that's profitable for you? Yeah, really profitable. I mean, it's driving the growth of the business. Okay. Um, All it, programmatic. A lot of it is programmatic sold by Snapchat. We sell some ourselves. Um, where we, as I said, we, we've struggled to get US agencies as yet on board for big scale Snapchat Discover takeovers in the US, but we've had some quite good success in the UK market, but it's obviously quite small for us. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really profitable. It, I would definitely say it's the, you know, in the 14 years I've been running Pink News, it's the best decision I ever made was, uh, was, signing the deal with Snapchat, hiring the team to build the content. So what kind of team do you have? Do you have people dedicated exclusively to the Snapchat Discover channel? Yeah, so what we have is I brought on a really a great editor um, called Ellen Stewart who joined us from the Evening Standard, uh, London's main uh, newspaper here where she was running, uh, she was in charge of their grave. So she came on initially to be running the website and she's ended up as our head of platforms and she built out um, a, a strong team. So we have uh, three animators, four uh, video producers, then we have producers who work across all our platforms. And we try to use the content that might appear on Snapchat will also appear on our Instagram, on our YouTube, on our Facebook, will be cut differently. So we're trying to kind of commission in a 360 way. We've also done a recent deal, we've signed a recent deal with Twitter to take some of our shows there and monetize them there. So we might be finding sponsors for our Snapchat shows and the same show cut differently might appear on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing this without venture capital backing? Yeah, no funding. Okay. Um, 
give me the upsides and downsides to that. I mean, obviously you're seeing tons of opportunities. You're talking about a a hundred million people in India alone, but at the same time, you got a cash flow. It's real. It's a real struggle. (laughs) So the biggest challenge actually is that um, advertisers pay really slightly. Yeah. (laughs) Especially the bigger the agency. The bigger, the worse the payment terms. And so like (laughs) we have some campaigns from last Pride. We still haven't received the money for, and it's, it's a real challenge for growth. So wait, how long ago was that? A year, basically. A year? Yeah. Oh my God. And, and I've generally found the you big... You want to name them? Maybe they're listening. Um, I mean, the world's biggest <laughs> oh, ad agencies. <laughs> the world's biggest ad agencies are the slowest. Okay. I mean, they're really great entertaining us, take us to great parties and things. <laughs> uh, take us, uh, taking me on holiday, but they still haven't made us all oh, the money we made. Um, it's, you know, it's a challenge. I think the advantage has been that... Um, you know, when I talk to uh, people who I know who have raised money, so as an example, uh, Mike.com actually looked to acquire us uh, quite a while ago. And hmm. so I've stayed in touch with um, Chris and I spoke to him about some of the challenges they had when um, they ended up having to sell to Bustle. And when you raise money, you have to spend it. And yeah. I haven't had to spend money because <laughs> I didn't have it. And I've also had to make money. So... Um, because we've had to make money and I can't hire people until we've got, we've not only sold an ad or whatever it is, an event, and actually got the money in our bank account and paid the taxes and everything mm-hmm. else. Um, it's made me have to build a quite stable um, business and a business that really does know what it's doing. You know, you, you, I know, I know what the, I know where we're spending money, and we we don't we don't just don't have the luxury of people like BuzzFeed, Vice, etc., to sort of blow money on things that just don't don't make sense. Yeah. But you still have to take risks. I mean, the Snapchat th- yeah, it was that a was a risk, risk, but it was uh, it's a funny one. So um, with the uh, I. So we didn't sell to Mike, but um, we ended up doing a Comscore roll-up deal with them where they were going to sell some of our ads. They didn't manage to, didn't actually sell many ads, but they paid us a retainer and I used that money to build the Snapchat team. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's crafty. <laughs> so how about operating a business? I mean, because it, it comes, I mean, you came in and you said, oh my God, we're getting thrown out of our office. <laughs> um, so every day must bring in like a different, challenge slash opportunity yeah i mean this is not so great an opportunity so we have just i found out that um with a company that we were renting space from have gone into administration over the last couple of weeks and then the ultimate landlord had said they were gonna uh, let us stay but they're not i mean it's their right to say they're not and so these are the things it's like okay it's like things are going well everything's go you know i was like i was really excited the things i'm really excited (laughs) about doing this interview because i love listening to the podcast and then i was like oh god this is actually like the worst day of my life to be doing this because, um, but that's you, operating a business, yeah, right? And, I mean, and just also just strange things happen. So you get calls, which you know, the 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 uh, a previous sort of bad period was last January when Facebook changed its algorithm, and I was actually sitting with my uh, with Ellen, who's now head of platforms, and we were like looking at our numbers just going as the audience just sort of shifted away and Facebook changed the goalpost and we were like, oh God, I don't know what to do. And then I got the email from Snapchat with say, you've been green, that we're ready to go. So then suddenly everything changed and, and everything else has, um, has, has happened from there. So there's always like these challenges that happen when you're running, you know, we are still a small business, we're a small business of global reach. There's these challenges that happen when you're running a small business of global reach, but then there's great opportunities that can come off the back of those challenges. So even this office situation, you know, we'll maybe find a better place and everyone be happier and it might be cheaper. Okay, so can't get too high, can't get too low. Yeah. 
Um, how about like things that you've learned from sort of the previous entrepreneurial endeavors that, um, you're applying this well, time around? I actually probably learned more from when I was a journalist at Channel 4 News. Oh, okay. I used to cover, I used to cover this sector and I right. used to interview, um, you know, Zuckerberg and the, the Google people and the YouTube people and stuff like that a lot. And I just, I, it's helped me learn that I don't want to create those sorts of businesses. Obviously we're a much smaller scale business, but, um, I've, I feel like I've learned some of the challenges of growing too fast and we are growing quite quickly, but we're trying to do things a bit slow, a bit more slowly, a bit more measured. Sometimes my team find it a bit annoying when I sometimes take a, a little while to decide or to give my approval to something, but I am thinking about the worst case scenario as well as the best case scenario. And, and that's what I've kind of learned over the last few years. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, you know, I, this business was a complete accident it's completely changed my life. Um, you know, the battle for same-sex marriage in our country began on Pink News. Um, I got married last year, and so I often mm -hmm. think of that as my proudest achievement from Pink News. We facilitated the campaign for same-sex marriage. We've done so many great things, um, but it's a, it's, a strange, it's a strange one to be running sometimes. Yeah. Okay, Benjamin, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. This is a special series of bonus episodes on how bootstrap media companies are running a profitable business. And we're always looking for feedback. I hope you'll all also rate and review our show on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode.